Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Please have a seat. Uh, when when our, our children were little, I was, uh, would take, take them on Saturdays, and sometimes when it was a cold and, and, or wet Saturday, I would take them up to Lakeline Mall up here before the stores open, and we'd just go down one of the little hall, hallways, and I, I'd sit on one of the benches, and then we'd, we'd, play, we'd just play games. We kind of owned the mall, you know, that wasn't very popular back then, and, and the stores weren't open, so we'd play red light, green light. And you remember, there's a caller on one side, it's kind of the, the destination point, and the kids, three kids would line up down there, and I'd close my eyes and say, you know, green light, and they'd run towards me as fast as they could, and then I'd say red light, and I'd open my eyes, and they had to be frozen, right, statues, or else they had to go all the way back to the beginning. And, and we would just do this, and then whoever gets to the, to the top, whoever would touch my hand, he'd get to be the new caller, except when I play, I'm always the caller. Oh, I'm always sitting down and sipping on my tea, watching these kids run and run and run. And then between red light, green light, we would play Simon Says. You probably know that, too. Simon Says, when it, it's an issue of commanding, you know, and if you said the magic word Simon Says, then they would have to do that. And the kids, I, I mean, they love doing it. Simon Says, you know, jump around. Simon Says, stick your tongue out. You know, and, and they would, uh, Simon Says, uh, just keep running in circles. Uh, Simon Says, keep running in circles. Simon says, sing that song about how much you love dad. Dad is great. Keep singing. And, they, and they, they would do it. They would just do it, and they would obey, and they would happily obey. I've got to tell you, I might not have been a good parent, but I was a smart parent because these, we would, I would just run these kids into the ground, and it was, it was a good team. I, for me, personally, I loved the power that I had. I mean, it didn't take long for it to kind of swell inside of me. I love the authority that I had. Simon says, you know, red light, green light. I did whatever I, and it was, it was fun. The hardest part was leaving the mall because when you come off of that intoxication, you just think, hey, hey, slow person in the fast lane. Simon says no driving on the highway for you, you know, no more driving on the highway for you. I'd come home and I'd say, same kids, same children. Simon says, clean your room. Nothing. Not a thing. I do. Simon says, Melinda, you pick up my socks. You know, ooh. Simon says, do not throw the lamp. Simon says, red light, red light, red light. <laughs> so it, it, didn't go, it didn't go very far. So, but it was fun while having that authority. Here's the point. When you have authority, you're in charge. You're in control. And whatever you have authority over, they do or it does whatever it's told. Today, we're going to look at the authority of Jesus the Christ. Today we're going to look at the authority of Jesus. That's what Mark wants us to hear. That's what he's trying to tell us in just these few verses that we'll look at. Now, if you remember last week, if you weren't here, but just to remember last week, um, Mark, is, Mark will just tell you why he wrote his biography. Okay, it's the shortest, it's the earliest version of the biographies of Jesus. And he says in the first verse, first sentence, it says, the beginning of the great news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah. Um, Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the promised king. There it is. Jesus is the promised king. And last week we looked at the coronation of the king. We saw that in the baptismal experience, his first uh, experience in this book, Mark, uh, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was approved of by the Father. He passed the gauntlet of temptations in this anti-Eden so he could be the second or final Adam. He showed himself to be a worthy king. And then after those three things, he teaches. 
first time in 400 years of silence, God has not spoken to mankind, and heaven is torn away so that he could speak these first words from God, verse 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. That means turn around. It means change. It means about face, about your view of God, your view of salvation, your view of what God is like, uh, how you understand or change, change those things that are wrong. And your lifestyle will change as a result. Change your life. And then that's the repent and believe in the gospel of God or believe in the gospel. The good gospel is not a religion. Gospel literally means, remember, good news. It's not, it's not a list of how to live life like right, Confucius, which is good, right? It's a great way to live life. It's not that, though. It is, is an event. It's like our newspapers record events, good news, great news. The event is that Jesus Christ would be the suffering king. He would go and he'd pay the price for the sins that we have against the, the Father's holiness, and then he would be raised again to prove that the payment is in full and give us the power to change. So there's forgiveness and there's power in this good news that we're to believe in. So repent and believe. Today, we ask this question, why should I? I mean, why should I believe this is the message from Jesus, but why should I believe his message? Why not believe, I don't know, the Buddha? Those, there's, some, there's some wisdom spoken there. Why is he any different? And what, he's, what Mark is going to say is that Jesus, here's why you believe it, because Jesus has the authority to tell us what to do and how to do it. So when Jesus says, or when Simon says, right, he says, repent and believe, we should hop to it because he has this authority. It'd be important to know maybe even the origin of the word authority since we're building on that today. Authority means uh, out of the original stuff. And here's, here's insightful. Authority comes from the word author. Look, authority is author with I-T-Y on it, authority. He wrote it. They, they were part of the origin, right? They began it. They created it. He, all things were created by him and for him. He's, he, he's the author of things. And so this is the point of our time to, today. Here's what Mark wants us to know, that, that Jesus, right, has the authority of the king. Jesus has the authority of the king. He's the author of those things. And so he's going to rapid fire because he wants to get to the point, okay? And so in a classic, in a hurry way of writing, he'll use immediately a half a dozen times. He's going to go through, he says, Jesus has authority in the way he teaches. Jesus has authority over the spirit world. Jesus has authority over illness. Jesus has authority over um, uh, a hopeless disease. Jesus has authority over his call on you. And that's what, that's what Mark wants us to know. And he's going to tell us one story after another. No time to think or act. Just, just repent and believe, he's saying. Here's why you should listen to Jesus, because he has the authority of the king. Let's look at it. Let's look, that's our outline. So first one is the authority of the king as he's teaching. Verse 21. And he went to, this is Jesus, and they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, right, Sabbath school was going on, and he entered that synagogue, and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority and not like the other scribes. It's in comparison, right? He taught with authority as opposed to the other scribes. Now, the way the people taught back then, actually kind of now, 
is they would take a passage out of the Older Testament and they would say, okay, uh, here's how we can interpret it. And here's like five quotes over here. Here's how we, or we can, you know what, we can look at it this way and more quotes. Everybody's quoting someone else. There's no clarity for the most part and there's no authority. Here, let me, let me, let me show you how this works and looks. Here's a great quote. Um, they, uh, the scribes, had habitually uh, established their views by long, learned quotations from other rabbis. At best, they could claim an authority derived from their understanding of the law, but their teaching was generally uh, pedantic. It was dull. Uh, it accu occupied uh, minute distinctions concerning the Levitical regulations and uh, petty legalistic uh, requirements. Now, that's from Edmund Hebert from his book, Mark, uh, The Portrait of the servant. It's, you can find that on page 52. Anybody get it? Yeah. How'd that feel, right? How's that feel to be taught in the way that they were being taught? And so Jesus shows up and he's not quoting any scribes. He's quoting himself. Jesus doesn't go back to tradition. He says, here's how it happened. And that's why they were, one person said, they were dumbfounded. He had authority because he was the author now, read carefully when you continue to read through the book of Mark. You listen for this. Jesus, when Jesus teaches, he says, you've heard it said, like from other scribes. But I say, he's quoting himself. He'll say, truly, truly, I say to you, because he's the author. Right? Jesus is the final authority on these things. I mean, he, he's teaching Exodus chapter 20, and he says, okay, let me, the Ten Commandments. When I was telling Moses, because <laughs> he was there, it's his stuff. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to be arguing in front of the Supreme Court and your attorney uh, is Thomas Jefferson? And, and he just kind of goes up there and clears his throat and he looks at those chief justices and he's just like, um, look, <laughs> got to tell you, all these other court cases with precedents and the, the, okay, they don't matter. I was there. One of the authors, here's what that law means. That guy's right. Because why? Because he has authority. The, the, and the people were, Mark is famous for his recording of their emotional response. He said, astounded. They were overwhelmed. Jesus says, Simon says, I'm Simon. And I say. And so my point is this. That if you were there, if you would have been there at that synagogue 2,000-something years ago, and you heard that man teach in the way he taught with power and conviction, with authority, you, you would say, that man appears to be the author himself. And when he says, repent and believe, I'm going to submit to that. Jesus says, I do, and I will. So that, that's how... That's how Mark starts off this story. And then he goes right from there uh, to tell another story that happened in church that day, verse 22, where he talks about authority of the king over evil spirits. The authority of the king over evil spirits. So church hadn't let out yet, and something happens with a person that's possessed. Now, in our world, it's, we, you know, the physical world, we have our senses and we appreciate those and we trust them for the most part. But there's a whole reality outside of the physical world that the Bible talks about, and it, it's easy to believe in this reasonable belief that there's a spiritual world around us. And the Bible speaks of that. No time to try to show you or prove to you, but according to the Bible and other resources, there is a war going on in this spiritual world. 
And Jesus, Jesus shows up and he says, I, I have authority over that. Watch what happens in verse 23. Now immediately, fast stories, immediately there, were, there was in their synagogue a man who had an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? We, we, we know, have you come now to destroy us? I know who you are. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. <laughs> now what, look what Jesus says. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. I've got to tell you, if there's a war going on, it, there's not much of a fight when Jesus shows up. Because this spirit, this, this demon says, you know, are you, are you coming, first of all, to destroy us? And I know who you are. And he said, Simon says, shut up. One translation says, what does it say? Muzzled. Muzzle up and get out. When, Simon, when Jesus says, muzzle up and get out, here's what happens. Verse 26, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Yeah. And everyone freaked. Look at verse 27. They were all amazed so that they were questioning amongst themselves, what's going on? The teaching with authority, that was amazing. But now he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. Casting out this demon, not by flexing muscle, but merely telling it what to do. Simon says, Jesus says, shut up and get out. And he does. Now listen, Mark is putting this in here and he'll put more stories in later on. The point is that there, this is an announcement of the undeniable, this is an undeniable sign of the kingdom coming. Remember when Jesus, his, his sermon, verse 15, says, tell them the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and obey. This is a sign that now, basically, heaven has made a beachhead, and he's coming in. This is like uh, the story is supposed to kind of uh, hit you like, uh, you might, if you might have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, right? So what do they say when, the, when, the, the, when Narnia is under this curse, right? It's always winter but never Christmas. And everybody's living with this feeling of domination from evil. And then... The spring led to its thaw because Aslan was on the prowl. That's what he's saying here. Aslan is on the prowl now, and he has power because of his authority. And I, listen, I don't, <laughs> it doesn't matter what your parents said about God or Jesus. It doesn't matter what your pastor said. It doesn't matter what your professor says or your friends say. You go to firsthand eyewitness accounts of what Jesus was like, and those people that were in that synagogue that day, they would say this, that man, Jesus, he has absolute authority. He was in control because he owns the place. He wrote the story. And if you won't trust those people that were witnesses to that, you could just interview the demon. He said, he said, I know who you are, Holy One of God. The demon knows who he is. Take his word for it. Simon says, Jesus says, shut up. Jesus says, get out. That's how it works. Why? Because Jesus has authority. Like a king over even the, right, the evil spirits. So, repent and believe. He said so. Repent and believe. He had the right to say that. Here's our third one, rapid fire. Okay, he just crosses the street. Uh, Peter's house is across the street from the synagogue. You can see it if you go to Israel. And this is what happens there, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered in the house of Simon and Andrew, and James and John were with him. 
Now, Simon's mother-in-law was laying ill with a fever, and he immediately, uh, and immediately he told him about her. And he came and to look at her by, uh, I'm sorry, he came and took her by the hand and, picked, and lifted her up, and, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. I forgot to say that this is the authority of the king over sickness. This is the authority of the king over sickness. He walks in and immediately touches this sick, ill mother-in-law, right, and she gets right up. And then she starts serving. Now, listen, <laughs> if you were Peter, if you were Peter and you, you walked in and you saw your mother-in-law laying on that couch, not helping, not doing anything, being sick and just complaining about how bad a fisherman you are and how you, she was wishing her daughter would have married someone else, and then Jesus comes over and touches her hand, and at that touch... She is healed, and then she sits up, and then she starts carrying the weight finally around your house, around your house. She's finally helping. You'd think he has authority. That man is to be believed, and he, we should repent and believe because he said so. We had a miracle happen here. Finally, my mother-in-law is doing stuff for us. That might be an embellishment, but that's the way I read it. What are we on? Four? The fourth? King has authority over disease and shame. We're going to slow down a little bit here. This is different than illness. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. This we're going to speak about this authority is over a disease called leprosy. Now, certainly at that time it was incurable, but it, I, I say disease and shame because it, it, it brought about tremendous shame and uh, it was dehumanizing. Good word. It was dehumanizing to the victim. They had, they had to carry not the weight just of the disease itself that, was, that you live hopelessly of ever achieving some kind of cure or betterment. It's only going to get worse. But not only that, you were completely isolated and ostracized from everyone else, right? So you had to live outside the city in case it was contagious. And um, you'd, you'd walk around uh, screaming, unclean, unclean. You have to cover your body, everything, but, but your eyes because you were so terrible to look at. It... Uh, if a priest diagnosed you with leprosy, there was an immediate divorce between you and your spouse. Didn't even have to file the paperwork. You're done because you guys are never going to be together and you need to move on. That's what these people live with, with leprosy. They're hopeless. They're filled with shame. Their dignity is all but gone. And so this leper comes to Jesus in verse 40 and says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, right? He's just, oh, I'm pathetic. If you're willing, if you're just like, if you're willing, you can clean me. It'd be too hard to describe what that must have been like. So here's a, here's a film clip from a movie called Risen. And let's, let's see what it might have been like. Jesus' response to that. He's going to do it. Do what? He's going to heal that man. How? Watch. Just watch. No one touches me. A miracle. We saw them many times, Roman. Do you have faith? Come, stand. 
We, we cannot even imagine. A man's entire life history of shame and fear and, and cowardly living in 90 seconds is undone. And if you were that Roman and you saw that happen, you saw the compassion that the king had for that outcast, him speaking into his life, Simon says, Jesus says, you have wholeness, you have dignity, you are well. <laughs> You'd do whatever that king said. Repent and believe in the gospel. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I will do that. Because you have authority over, over right, this, this illness and shame. So the whole point of the miracles, and you'll see about 30 of them in the work of Mark, and the whole idea is it's just compounding evidence, you know, just layers of evidence that's saying Jesus has authority over all the created world. It was made by him and for him and through him. He owns it. He's the author of it. He'll do what he wants with it. Simon says, no, Jesus says, whatever. And he can. And whatever it is does what they're told. They just do. The fifth, the fifth way that the king expressed his authority was in the call. The, the authority of the king comes in the call. This is actually the first part of this story, but I wanted to save it for us because it's so uh, application-driven for us. And in the context of this, uh, of this part of the story is that Jesus has been out doing ministry probably for about a year, not in Mark's gospel but in Luke's. And, and so I think Jesus knows them even by name. Uh, in Luke's story, Jesus is actually borrowing Peter's boat one time to preach one of his sermons. So I think they're uh, acquaintances and maybe even friends. But then on this day, the king says, it's time to go on maneuvers. I'm looking for some knights. And here's what happened. This is power of authority. Verse 16, they were passing along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their nets into the sea and they, because they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you, look at the grammar, I will make you become a fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay, they, Jesus walks down the beach a little further, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, they left their nets to their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired servants, and they followed him immediately. He called them, and they, Simon says, Jesus says, come with me, follow me. And they did. I want to just kind of little, stand over here for a second. Okay, little sidebar. These men aren't just regular guys. I, I just want you to see that they're not, they don't have societal prominence. They're just regular guys. They don't have some kind of religious higher upper hand education. They didn't go to what would be a seminary. They, they weren't maybe even the most devout, hard to say. They were, look, look he found them and he's going to find the other ones just doing their jobs. They were just working like, you know, well, not like I work, but more like, like you work, right? Just regular jobs. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, you're fishermen, right? Oh, watch what I can make you become. I will take all that you do and all that you've experienced for good or for bad, and I will make it full and real and eternal. Follow me. You're, you've, you've had a great experience that's part of my plan. Now let's go and let's go with this. Follow me. Follow me. I'm the king you're looking for. You've always been longing for. The longing in your soul has been looking for me. 
I'm the author and perfecter of all things. I am the great news. I am the story that is the good news, the gospel, the great news. I am true love. I am real life. Follow me. What does that mean? What does that mean, follow me? Let's spend some time on that. I want to answer three questions. One, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Two, you know, why? <laughs> why would you? Why would you follow Jesus? And then the, and the third thing is, how much does it cost? Right? We're Americans. How much does it cost? Can I get it on sale? Okay. Follow me. I'll make you become fishers of men. What does that mean? Okay. First phrase, follow me. A literal translation would be, honestly, it would be stick, stick by me, stick with me. It means let's stay together. Let's hang out with each other. Let's you come spend time with me. Next three years, we'll go camping. We'll be on a mission like, like you know, some kind of Marines on patrol, and we'll be going up and down Israel, and we're going to learn together. Stick with me. And then in our context, since he's not here to follow, can't go camping with Jesus, it's studying the Bible, hanging around other people, learning how to love, learning who Jesus is so you can love him. Right? Learning how he thinks so you can think like him. How to feel because you learn to feel like him. So that you can serve him and so that you can fear him. That's what it means to follow me. Hang with me. Stick with me. Uh, so that you will become, I love that, become fishers of men. It's not like you're there. Take this pill. Call me in the morning. Boom, you're a disciple. It says, no, no, no. This is going to take some time. It's not going to be like Easy. So uh, there's part of this where I want to say almost in, in, as a pastor, just say, you need to be patient with yourself, some of you, really. You need to be patient with yourself. It is a process over time. But you also need to be impatient because you must bear fruit. See, you've got to be patient with a fruit tree, but your fruit tree, if it's healthy, is going to produce fruit. So be patient, but also with, with great expectations that God's doing something in your life. That's what it means to become a fisher of men. It's a process. Follow me. It, he, what he's saying is, follow me. I will take you on a journey. I know, you, you know you're you a little hobbit and you want to stay in your little village there and, and drink beer and, and talk. I'm going to take you on an adventure that requires bravery and camaraderie and unity and trust. If you think Jesus asks you to follow me as you are fishermen, right? You're a little fisherman. Oh, good. Whenever we get in the boat with Jesus, it'll be smooth sailing. <laughs> oh, you do you know the stories? It, Jesus is like, I'm the guy causing the storms. He won't take you where you want to go. He'll take you where you need to go because that's the kind of king he is. He wants to make you more. He want, he, you know what he's going to Here's what he's saying. Jesus says, look, you follow me, stick with me, and I will teach you how to enjoy loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I'll teach you how to love your neighbor just like the way you love yourself. Follow me. Stick with me. That's what it means. Why? Why would you follow him? Two words. A benevolent king. He's a benevolent, loving, that word means loving, king. He, first, he's a king. That's the whole point of today. That's what Mark's been getting at. He is a king. We do what we're told. He has authority. He rules. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's how kingdoms work. 
The king says it, we do it. Simon says, no, Jesus says, the king has declared, we just do it. He has a right to command us, so we just do it. Why do it? Because he has the authority over us. He made us. Two, I did I tell you, he's a benevolent king. He's a loving king. Did I tell you, he's the author of us. He created us. He loves us. He created us. And so his loving creation says, I know what is best for you. I know, I know the things that will cause you to grow. I, will, I, I know you and I love you, so I know what's best. So come on, do this out of love. Follow me because it'll be good for you. Follow me because I'm king. I'm a good king. So that's pretty simple. Well, it's easy to understand. So that's what it means to follow him. That's why you should follow him. How much does it cost? Okay, well, it costs, um, oh, it costs everything. It will cost you everything to follow him. And that everything is nothing. It costs you nothing to follow him. We set up these house of cards so that we might have security or significance in somehow, and we're, we're conniving and controlling, right? We're trying to control aspects of showing ourselves to be truly significant or safe. And God says, just give me all that nonsense. He says, what? He says to this in, in chapter 8 of Mark, he's talking to everyone. Now he's talking to the masses, not to these four men. And he says, you want to follow me? Okay. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and just follow me. Stick with me. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Take those silly methods of feeling like you matter because of some kind of crazy way of keeping score or that you're in control, take that, all those paper mache things that you think are real, and just give me those things. It'll cost you everything, but you have nothing to give. Jesus never, ever apologizes for you to turn your pockets inside out and give him all that you have. He tells you that's smart, it's shrewd, it's an investment. It doesn't cost, it costs everything, sure, it costs you nothing. Look, look, look what he says in chapter 10 of Mark. Jesus says, I'm gonna, look, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I have the authority. I'm going to tell you the truth. There is no one who has left a home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for my sake or for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive in this age a hundred times as much. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and we get to get persecuted. You know, blood. That's awesome. I love the taste of my own blood. And in the age to come, eternal life. <laughs> you say, look, <laughs> you give me your monopoly money that won't matter as soon as this game's over because everything goes in the box, the casket. Everything just goes in the box. You just give me that Monopoly money, and I, oh, you have a lot. Uh, and I will give you a coal train full of gold. I want all of your Monopoly properties, but I'm going to give you a coal train full of gold that's eternal. And we say, but I, but I own Park Place. I think I have enough to put a hotel there. It'll cost you the hotel. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you nothing. Today, Mark wants us to understand that Jesus is the king and he has authority over all things. Here, he's, he's a good king. He's a loving king. And he's a polite king. 
He comes to us today and says, will you obey? Will you repent and believe in the gospel of God? Will you? Because all of the illness obeys, and all of the demons obey, and all of the sickness and shame obey. But do you? Do you? Do you believe this king has the authority to tell you how to live? He's shown himself to be that way. Follow him. Stick with him. And he'll make you <laughs> like him. Let's ask God's Spirit to come in and tell us what in the world are we hold in the world are we holding on to that's keeping us from taking this next step. Repent and believe. Follow me, I'll make you me. Lord Jesus, I lift up our hearts. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.